Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. And good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, coming to you live from separate locations. Uh, some breathtaking numbers to start the week. Uh, futures are weak on what is shaping up to be the worst day for WTI since the contract was created back in 1983, ahead of expiration. Big earnings, IBM, Netflix, and Co. coming at us uh, this week. We'll look for a deal to extend those small business loans, Jim. But uh, crude is going to get the attention at the outset. And you did say on Twitter on Friday uh, that investors still had time to sell crude before this week. Yeah, I want people out because this is the expiration day. And so what happens is you I mean, actually it's tomorrow, but people are trying to prep it. What happens is my friend Rusty Brazil always explains to me, just going to read. Yep, the rollover from the May contract to June occurs tomorrow. The reason that happens is because the May futures price converges with cash at expiration. Cash price has been significantly lower than the futures price. So in other words, you're looking at what the real price is. It's not the futures price. And so what happens is that imagine if you're producing it, say, $32 a barrel, $33 a barrel, like an Occidental. That's just you're really hurting. Look, nobody can make any money at these prices. And Rusty points out that after seeing this the next month, it might go to zero. And that's I think a lot of it is because where are you going to put it? And maybe just keep it in the ground. But it is extraordinary and jarring. And I think it's causing the decline. And yet, Carl, what's so amazing it was completely predictable, which is why maybe the decline is uh, is really overdone. If it's based on oil, if it's based on all the other factors, I don't know. But it does look like that oil's bringing things down. And this was just take a look at the next month. It just happens the way it works. It gets to expiration. It collapses. Next month, it gets pumped up again. And, David, you know, there are a lot of companies that have done deals uh, expecting prices were going to rise, not fall. Yeah, I think that that is fair to say. And the, the pressure is going to continue on this industry, as we know, Jim. Um, we are dealing, though, with a reduction in demand. I mean, is there any recalibration by the market, Jim, that's taking place here saying the reduction in demand is going to be even longer than we anticipated? Or does it feel to you simply this is a reaction to something we've already sort of been dealing with uh, for weeks now? Now, look, I think uh, actually yeah, on Friday, on Friday I was predicting, I think two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I would have thought that maybe there's hope that there could be airline jet fuel demand. But I think that as we go along, uh, even as we try to open the economy, I just don't hear a lot of people talking about robust driving, robust uh, planes. But look, I think if you open the economy a little, there's a reason why at least some of the fuel will be used. Uh, But I think the whole open the economy thing is uh, predicated upon the idea that there'll be some businesses that open, but not necessarily that there's going to be a lot more flying. They haven't figured out how to make it so when you when you fly other than Emirates that you feel safety. And I think it's really the big drag, uh, big visible drag on the economy is no, no flights that people want to go on. No. Yeah. You know, Carl, it comes up oftentimes in terms of this conversation that I'm sure we all have. What is the world going to look like after, again, once we pass through this? Uh, And one thing that I get universally is, well, my teeny budget's never going to be quite what it was. I'm not putting people on planes in the same way that I did previously for what are simple meetings. I can do them um, via any number of the different services available to me now in a video conference manner, and that will be more acceptable. So, you know, you do wonder, guys, whether there's going to be a longer term reduction in business travel or certainly one that's not going to respond quickly. 
uh, in terms of back to levels we saw in, in early 2019. Convinced, convinced. 500,000 yeah. jobs at home, Carl, uh, just from adding the bank stocks last week. Just put them together. 500,000 people working from home. Yep. Yep. Uh, Gottlieb's got a good op-ed in the journal today talking about the degree to which companies are going to not let their employees either gather in the workplace or travel outside of the workplace. United with this uh, preliminary Q1 uh, revenue down 17 year on year. A downgrade of Boeing today, Jim, over at Citi. Yeah. uh, Throwing in the towel late, they say. Uh, but based on uh, problems that go beyond just a challenging aero sector. Yeah, I mean, I, lo- I read that piece and I just said, OK, well, look, you stuck with it, throwing in the towel for the late, too late, bonus unique challenges. Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of a lot of kind of soporific research. I mean, if you um, sell food, you're they upgrade you. If you're involved with travel, they downgrade you. Uh, there is uh, this is not a, a time when I think the research has really excelled uh, a couple of downgrades at Disney. Well, OK, I mean, maybe because it went up big that uh, on Friday. Friday's market was a phony market. OK, I mean, there was 300 points added in the last few minutes. And I think a lot of the analysts are saying, oh, I got my chance to downgrade Disney. So two guys downgraded saying, listen, don't forget parks. Don't forget football. It was almost like they were waiting till they got to the hundreds to be able to, to, to do something. <laughs> and and, and it's like, wow, I got my chance. I got my chance. So, I mean, those futures guys, whoever's buying stocks up, market on close mutual funds, what I heard, you know, they gave everybody a chance to get out. And uh, so the analysts are taking advantage of it, and they're telling everyone to go buy food, uh, food companies. We've never even you, know, you, you would never bring this stuff in your house until now, uh, but now you do. I mean, uh, did you guys see the Proctor upgrade? More people are uh, trying to figure out what to do with their hair, and they're shaving more because of you know, and whatever the mask, and everything's a mess. Because whatever people are buying at the supermarket or drugstore, they're now buying at Amazon. So now you upgrade Amazon, but they're buying the stuff. The Proctor quarter was incredible. And I was telling someone the other day, I said, you should go by Proctor. I said, why? I said, it's the best time in the world the Proctor's ever had. All of the stuff is about being clean. Yeah, although, uh, David, I see Morgan Stanley says today, lock in profits on Amazon. Uh, Jim mentions the Disney downgrades and then two downgrades of Gilead, Jim. Yeah. At yeah, Wells Gilead. and BMO. Well, Remdesivir, they've already anticipated that people won't make any money. It's very funny. Thursday night, Adam Feuerstein, an old friend of mine from the street, now at Stat, he breaks a great story about the University of Chicago Med. He did not say go use Gilead's Remdesivir, but it made people very excited. And then people recognized, well, wait a second, they're going to give away Remdesivir. So how much money are you going to make on that? Uh, and then you watch the, the shows this weekend, the show on Saturday and the show on Sunday, and you start thinking, I don't know, maybe it's going to be uh, another drug and not remdesivir. So then you start realizing, why am I buying Gilead? I mean, the shows were incredible this weekend. I don't know if you caught them. Yeah, I do try and catch them more than I used to, at least. Although I feel as though, frankly, we have many of the same guests on during the course of our week that we see uh, on the morning shows. But not the you know, you've got to be up to date as much as what you can. What are you talking about? You know, the show's yesterday, right? The sun, you're talking about the Sunday <laughs> okay, shows, you are, right? You are hysterical. I'm talking about the president's shows. Oh, those shows. Oh, my God, where he does the interplay with the CNN guy. <laughs> he just, you're an idiot. Oh, I, yeah. I, I mean, come I, on. Teatro, David. I haven't watched that show. Ain't you ever seen yeah, Teatro? Oh, you've got to put those shows on. They are dynamite. I'm trying to. You know, as all of us are, I'm trying to maintain sanity, and what? I'm choosing not to uh, not to. You view, want to watch like reruns of the 1984 NCAA finals? What are you? 
I will get it a later date. Well, we're all looking forward to that Michael Jordan thing, I guess. Yeah, he on ESPN. Speaking of ESPN, Carl mentioned those downgrades at Disney. You, you talked about it as well. I mean, it is not as though we have not been talking about the challenges Disney faces. And so much of it is connected, guys, to the overall reopening of the economy that we are talking about, that we are waiting for, that is in the balance with how you deal with the virus um, and comes back to large extent to the parks themselves. Right. When they'll open, people typically do book six to nine months in advance. How are you going to do that? Of course, today they're laying off, what, 110,000 employees, yeah. I believe, almost all of them, or many of them park-related, as you might imagine. Um, and then ESPN is another issue for Disney, of course, we've talked about in terms of how long will the cable companies go without sort of asking for some sort of recomp- recompense for for no, no airing of live sports in any way, and lack of production, which obviously all, all these companies are dealing with, uh, at the same time outweighed perhaps by, in the view of some by the incredible uh, surge in Disney Plus viewership, given everybody uh, going through rapidly through that library. But, but when it you is interesting. Thing, you as as that- Disney goes, Jim, does, does the nation go? Well, you know, that's an interesting question because it, it, Disney is kind of a, a microcosm of the nation. You've got sports, and they're talking about, well, how much are they going to try to buy Sunday night? Uh, parks, well, I mean, I think that the notion of going out is fundamental American. I know Shanghai's open in part. Uh, cruises, I think that the cruise line business is uh, right. alive and well if you listen to the people who run the cruise lines. But if you are trying to book one, maybe not. So, yeah, I think it is. I think it really is. Disney goes. I, I like that very much, except for the fact that Disney Plus is actually on fire. Um, I think Netflix is doing so well. And I know people want to downgrade Netflix, but look at Zoom. I mean, there was no level where people won't buy Zoom and no level where people won't buy Moderna because they've isolated a couple of winners and they're just continuing to buy them. I did a Zoom boozy brunch yesterday with my family. Quite frankly, I enjoyed it tremendously. It was very, it's become yeah, what you I th- do. I, I think it, we're all in that boat. Uh, it's, uh, it's been one lifeline to normalcy is to yeah. see your friends in real time while you're enjoying a drink. Uh, but to David's point, Jim, I mean, a base case of a January 1 park reopening at UBS is, I don't know if that was consensus. I mean, were you thinking in that neighborhood end of the year before parks open at Disney? Well, I was certainly hoping that that could happen, but... The more things go on, the more I realize short of a vaccine, everything is difficult. I mean, you know, you can go and you can have social distance. You can hope that someone doesn't get get too close to you. Costco's got it. So maybe you could do some sort of uh, opening like a Costco does, which is I feel very safe. Uh, but I don't think that the whole I think the world's upside down. And I think a lot of people would regard going to a, a Disney park as being something that was foolish right now. Maybe things will look different then, but. Uh, we need a vaccine. I mean, maybe but, J&J will have something well, but, so you can book in the spring of next Jim, year. Jim, we're going to be waiting. We could, we could be waiting a long time for a vaccine. I mean, we all hope, of course, as quickly as possible. But, I mean, has there ever really been one for the common cold? No. No. I mean, this, is a, this is a unique undertaking that's being done here. There wasn't a success for SARS. So, you know, short of that, we're going to have to figure something out because right. we can't keep right. our economy closed forever. We all know that. Um, and, you know, you talk about Disney, I mean, and, and how long it would take. Many families are talking about, well, what about the fall? What about return right. to school? What about colleges and universities, right. which, are, by the way, are an incredibly important part of our economy? They've got to figure out a way to open. 
I mean, there's going to have to be a way to open, whether it's with a huge increase in testing, hopefully oral antivirals that maybe are successful or out there. But we're going to have to figure something out. We, we can't keep the economy closed for the next nine months. Oh, you're totally right. We just can't. But I know the president says we're going to open in different. I saw people at the beaches in Florida and I said, geez, you know, maybe I'm just being way too cautious. Those people think like they're having a great time. But, David, if I were to say, let's say, have a son going to Tufts in September. Well, I don't know, David, if I would necessarily book the hotel on the night you drop him off. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. And there's a lot of people trying to figure that out. <laughs> These colleges and universities are in a difficult position. Yeah, they, they really, really are. are. Foreign students are also an important part of their paying population. That becomes an issue as well. What a world. Guys, we're going to get to, uh, on a shorter-term basis, uh, discussion of this extension in small business loans. We'll look for headlines regarding uh, Mnuchin and Pelosi. We'll talk to Randy Garuti later this morning from Shake Shack as they return all 10 million of the PPP loans that they got to give more credit to even smaller businesses. We're back in a minute. As we get set for what will be a down open at least 15 minutes from now when the markets uh, open overall. Uh, let's uh, head out to Phil LeBeau. We got uh, preliminary first quarter results from United and uh, yep. Phil has uh, a lot more on that for us. Thank you, Phil. Uh, David, not surprising that United, uh, I think we're going to see this from a number of airlines. They're saying, let's just get it out. Get out the news right now. The preliminary results for the first quarter, a pre-tax loss of $2.1 billion, revenue down 17% in the first quarter. The company also saying that it expects to have the ability to borrow up to $4.5 billion from the Treasury Department. Remember, this is that second bucket of money, that $25 billion that has been set aside for the airlines to borrow from Treasury. Uh, it'll cost United potentially potentially up to 14.2 million stock warrants or share or stock warrants equal to 14.2 million common shares of United. The company is also selling and then leasing back 22 aircraft to an Asian leasing firm. This is all about giving the, the balance sheet some financial flexibility here. They will be leasing those back after the sale. Speaking of doing something with your portfolio of planes, either selling it, deferring orders. Keep an eye on Boeing. Now, pre-market, this stock is under pressure. The city note where they basically downgrade them to neutral talks a lot about the uncertainty that is ahead in terms of the order book for Boeing. Leasing firms are cutting their uh, max orders. You had one, a Chinese leasing firm, cutting its max order by 29 planes. That came out early this morning. Remember, Boeing resumes production up in the Seattle area starting today and then ramping it up gradually on the wide body line throughout the week. But guys, we're entering an interesting couple of weeks here for Boeing. You've got the virtual annual meeting next week. And you also have the first quarter results being announced on Wednesday of next week. And, of course, people are going into this saying, OK, do we hear some kind of a deal between Boeing and the Treasury Department? Boeing has said they're still waiting for terms from the Treasury Department. And Boeing has not made up its mind whether or not it borrows from the Treasury Department or if it does that in combination with the private market. Guys, back to you. Let me ask you, Phil, when you look at the progression for that first quarter that they give you a pre-announce, I have to believe that January and February were quite strong and that March yes. just must have been a disaster. They were. They were on, they were on pace for a record first quarter ah. until March happened. 
I mean, all the airlines practically were. Every time you talk with an airline executive, they will tell you that heading into March, they expected the first quarter to be one of their strongest first quarters ever. And typically, the first quarter is not a great quarter for the airline industry, but they were expecting strong results. So it definitely, they hit a brick wall come March. And and that is really, you saw the impact of the transatlantic flights first being canceled, and then basically the domestic market uh, quickly shutting down. Yeah, Phil, we were talking earlier about when we'll really start to see the resumption of business travel in a significant way or whether it will forever be in some way diminished because so many people have successfully worked from home or reluctant to send somebody for simply a handshake meeting, so to speak. Not sure where you come down on that, but how does that play into the airline's view and whether they're going to need yet another bailout come the fall? Well, that's the big question right now. Look, when we talked with Doug Parker last week, he indicated some, some slight optimism and very slight. I mean, he made it clear that things are, are terrible right now. But he said, look, we actually are doing some work with potential business conventions in the fourth quarter. Now, d- does that mean that it's business as usual? Oh, of course not. None of the airlines expect that. The focus is going to be what happens after September 30th. And United has already come out and said, look, if we do not see an increase in demand, whether it's on the leisure or on the business side, there will be the possibility of job cuts because they simply do not have the business that they need in order to justify the level of employment. And remember, they have to keep those jobs in place through September 30th, not just United, but all the airlines as a part of the agreement for taking the payroll grants from the Treasury Department. a huge story today for us, uh, Phil. Amazing to see the shares down in the pre-market along with oil on this historic day. We'll take a quick break here, get the opening bell on the other side on this uh, Monday ahead of a very busy earnings week. Don't go away. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. About seven minutes until we get started with what promises to be another eventful week of trading on Wall Street. Let's squeeze in a mad dash ahead of that. Halliburton, the name that Jim is focused on. Wow, David. It's very rare that you ever see the term free fall when it comes to earnings. But Halliburton's talking about free fall in North America. Now, Halliburton, all in all, it was a good quarter. They adjusted 31 versus 23. They did $5 billion in rev. But the problem is, David, the future is just so bleak that it's really hard to try to figure out uh, how the company is going to ever become the old Halliburton. You know, this is a, a storied company that has done so uh, so so well, Halliburton, Baker Hughes, and Schlumberger are the three biggest. And it, this is a little worse than Schlumberger because Schlumberger has more international business. Schlumberger had sworn that they would never, you know, that the dividend would be fine even as of last July. Uh, but there is uh, an over, overwhelming sense that the Permian is is finished as a, a place of growth, and that everybody's going to have to cut back. I mean, obviously. There's a couple guys who do well there. Pioneer's still doing well. Parsley's doing well. EOG. I'd like to hear from Chevron. But Halliburton, I think, is the state of things. And the state of things is that uh, what was a great industry, an industry that was about energy independence, too, uh, is finished right now. And I don't know what brings it back. Uh, You've got to have wholesale demand improvement because... Uh, even if supply was cut back, look, we, I, I, I guess what I have to believe is, is that that supply cutback isn't really occurring uh, because you wouldn't be in a such free fall. Right. But even with the supply cutbacks that were promised from OPEC, 
Uh, Jim, it, it's still not enough. No, We're talking about, what, 30 million barrels a day uh, no longer needed, essentially, for the right. world's economies? Well, I mean, you listen to, to what Phil just said, and you, can, you got this pastiche of, uh, of not a lot of jet fuel, fuel being used. We know that there's not a lot of driving. There's whole shutdowns still in places. And y- you look at the world, and the world has got the same uh, crisis that we have. And so you just don't you're just using far less of this fuel. And I don't know. Remember, we were talking about whether everybody's going to come back to the office or not now that we've had Zoom. I think that there's a sense, if you read uh, Dr. Gottlieb's uh, op-ed today, that maybe things aren't going to come back the way we believe just in terms of, uh, of, of car use. I mean, uh, my fabulous makeup person, Patrice, suggested, Jim, how about drive-in movies? Is it, right. Right. Uh, you may not have remembered that. That would be it. nice. That'd be great, right? You know, yeah. which, but they had Rich Galfinder on earlier, David. He used to be a member, regular member on the set. And, you know, he, his movie yes, he theaters was. are really challenged. But it, it, you're, looking for, you're looking for some, some uptick in driving. You're not going to find it. You're not going to find any uptick in airlines. People don't want to go on an airplane. They have to start adjusting. When do these companies start adjusting to the new world and make you know, try to get a testing, try to make you feel like the, the person next to you isn't going to sneeze on you and put you out of business? I know colleges are thinking, David, just one solution is you take half the, uh, half the school. Let's say you have two rooms. I mean, two people in a room. Yeah. So in the fall, one person goes and the other Zooms. And in the spring, that person goes uh, who was Zooming. I mean, that's, these are the kind of creative things. People have to start thinking about creative things. It's not going to return until we get a vaccine. And yes, David, Ebola took five years, and that was record timing. So I'm not trying to be one of those people who says we're going to have a vaccine tomorrow. That, that's not going to happen. No, but, uh, but right. It's going to, uh, we are in need of a lot of creative solutions, and business is going to have to potentially lead that, which obviously is going to be an important story for us to be covering for the months and potentially years ahead in terms of how you do that and how all of these organizations and businesses adjust to, to, to that world you're describing. Or people just go out and take their chances, Jim. I mean, that is the other side of it as well. Uh, and you have a cohort that is an older cohort that simply is not going to be as part of our functioning economy in the way that they were previously. Well, look, if I'm 19, I want to go to Milan. Whoa. I mean, what the hey? I mean, I guess I just feel like I got the antibodies. But if you're my age, I'd like to go somewhere. I really would. I mean, I'm looking at a cruise, David. It's a cruise in July. It goes from Boston to um, uh, all the way up to like Halifax. Oh, what do you think? You and me, $8,000 for a, a, a cabin. What do you think? You game? <laughs> I'm, you know, you, I'm gonna, you talk to your wife. Yeah, I'm going to. Yeah, I'll take a pass, I think, right now. A hard, I have a pass? hard pass on that. Right, Not well, that I don't love you, but yeah. Well, no, you wouldn't be in my room, for heaven's sake. I get to see my wife. I, I saw oh. her yesterday. She came okay. by. She did a drive-by. It was fun. I'm glad. Yeah, I know. It's the first time I've I'm seen her since the first week of March. She looked, she looked good. She had a mask on, though. You know, it's like a bank robber coming to your house well, and your wife. Jim, I mean, uh, your point about uh, the... Uh, the, I'm not, I won't call them the elderly, but the non-young you. staying in is a problem for uh, consumer spending because older people, just by sheer wealth accumulation, uh, account for an extremely <clears throat> large percentage of consumer spending in this country, at least. Uh, I see Manushin's on uh, Twitter right now saying, oh, I'm glad to see that Shake Shack, 
will be returning the PPP loan uh, money. We're going to talk to Randy Garuti uh, later on this morning, as I said, Jim. But this is another interesting wrinkle. Um, right. Here's a company that, uh, you know, the, the guidelines were so vague in the, in the early going and the outcomes were so vague uh, in, in the short term that once they realized smaller chains were going to get locked out, you were talking about lotteries last right. week that this was the, the, the right thing to do. Well, one of my favorite places is Fogo de Chao. When I go to, to, um, to Salesforce's annual tremendous fun place, uh, Dreamforce, what I always find is there's a great Fogo de Chao next to it. And I was so glad Fogo de Chao got $20 million. It turns out it's owned by Thomas Lee, a very successful private equity fund. But, you know, look, it's Brazilian state. I thought that was one of the most outrageous right. things ever. Can't Thomas Lee journal some money over to that? It's a private equity-owned restaurant, Mr. Mnuchin. $20 million. The president talked about yeah, how some of these so are franchised. Yeah, so is Chuck E. Cheese, you know, and I mean, why shouldn't it potentially be able to stay in business and employ people? But because it's, it's supposed to be a small cons- and medium-sized business program. That's why. Right. I mean, it does... Didn't it, it wasn't supposed to be these places. I re, now, look, they can right. apply, and Ruth Chris can apply. They do have some franchises. Well, Ruth Chris, Ruth Chris got the money, didn't yes, they, Jim? They, did. they, they got, got the money. The money I but I, you know, yeah. I thought this yeah. was outrageous. I thought Shake Shack was outrageous. I'm glad they changed their mind. But holy cow, Fogo de Chao, owned by a private equity company, how much of that $20 million could have gone to small businesses that are trying to stay alive? Instead, a private equity firm, Thomas Lee, gets the money? Well, I mean, who's the joke on here? I, I thought that it was just outrageous. Fogo to chill. Although private equity has been cut out of a number of the of uh, has been cut out to a certain extent from a number of the programs, as you know. Certainly, the Fed Main Street program has a leverage test that some of these companies may not be able to meet that are private equity owned. Jim, I continue to hear, and I'm curious to, uh, what you're hearing uh, that those people who were dealing with those businesses that were dealing with the big banks. It took a lot longer than if you were dealing with a smaller community bank. The big banks took it on as though they needed to do due diligence, as though they were underwriting a loan, which, which even if you were high in the queue, actually took way too long and you didn't get your money. You're absolutely right. I mean, I had a community banker uh, from Summit uh, text me and say, why didn't you go with us? We think you had a much better shot. And uh, I didn't. I, I should have gone with community because I think that they would have wouldn't have been as overwhelmed. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that it was meant for community banks. I think that somehow we, we can all laugh about the fact that Fogo got it or that Ruth Chris got it. But uh, these are very big businesses and we don't want them to go out of business. But there should be another program for somebody who's big. This was meant for. For small people who otherwise just are going to shudder. I mean, yes, maybe Fogo would shudder, but it's owned by Thomas Lee and they have money away. And I just think the secretary wanted a good program. And I think there were outliers and there are always going to be outliers. But, yeah, I should have gone to community bank. Yeah, I know I should have. Would have been good. Meanwhile, guys, uh, Mnuchin was on CNN yesterday talking about the prospect for a deal to extend uh, the program. Might get a House vote this week if we do. This is what Mnuchin said yesterday. I'm hopeful that we can reach an agreement that the Senate can pass this tomorrow and that the House can take it up on Tuesday and Wednesday we'd be back up and running. All right. So, Jim, that would open the door for people who did get locked out of I guess what we're going to call phase one of this well, program. Well, that'd be good. I know that, uh, that uh, 
my representative, Velasquez, from uh, Brooklyn, Velasquez was uh, outraged that certain large ones got it. And I, I hope that there's, there's a lot of small businesses that clearly either didn't, weren't aware of the program or got shut down. Uh, one of the problems is, is that let's say you're a small business in your restaurant. It, we know that you can't just it's not business as usual. Let's say you have you put half as many tables in uh, can you double the price. So, I mean, if you get the loan, you're, you're trying to keep people employed. But then again, the economics of of running a restaurant now are very forbidding. And there was a there was a, a unfortunately a trial of a restaurant uh, in China where the air conditioner blew the droplets across the whole uh, floor of the restaurant and 10 people got sick from one person's sneeze. And so, I mean, there's there's just a lot of variables here. And I don't think we've thought it through yet. Uh, I don't think that the CDC has thought it through. Uh, and I certainly don't think that the restaurateurs, I mean, I know I've tried to, I can get, I can get it to work. I think, I think most people can get it to work, but the, the profitability is going to be really reduced. Uh, and then a lot of people won't be able to pay the rent. Speaking of yeah, not paying rent, economics, Jim, uh, it, you know, you've got, yeah, you've got retailers across this country that are also not paying rent. That continues to be a question. It wasn't just April where, you know, you hear different percentages. And I've talked to a number of landlords, 30, 40 percent, perhaps. It depends on the tenant. Uh, but May, uh, the expectation is fewer and fewer are going to pay, if any. You know, that continues to be a real potential crisis point as well. Oh, you're so right. You know, there's one of the best uh, is a, a shopping center company called Federal Realty, FRT, one of the best really incredibly well-run companies. And what they did was shift from traditional apparel to experiential, to restaurants. Uh, it, it was a brilliant idea. And FRT, amazing lifestyle, uh, gyms. It's downgraded today to a sell by Evercore, in part because the, everything they shifted to is, is in danger. The experiential is now a curse word. When you take a look at all the downgrades of, of all the different places that involve uh, interactions or, or places where you go and congregate, well, Federal Realty did a brilliant shift, and now that shift's not working. At the same point, if you look at J.C. Penney, Matt Boss with the piece out today, just talking about how many malls are now dark, two big stores, with, if Penny really starts closing stores. So malls hurting, experiential hurting, Amazon not hurting. And Amazon and Shopify not hurting. Shopify said last week that every day has been like Black Friday. So you've got two winners and you have hundreds of losers. Hundreds of losers. Carl, yeah, e-commerce, I mean, to your point, Jim, e-commerce, we Uh, know it's benefited. Amazon is up yet again today. Uh, It's up 31% this year. It's now got a $1.2 trillion market value. You pointed this out many times, of course. It will only cement its dominant position. The question is what the landscape will look like uh, after this in terms of other potential competitors for it. But you're right. I mean, e-commerce overall, depending on where you are, has been a a great place to be if you have a really robust business there. Yeah, I mean, look, I leave it out for 24 hours because that's what we're here to do. And I go get it. And the, the things that I've ordered by Amazon are uh, I, I know that my daughter's not happy because it, I use a huge amount of waste to put. I, I mean, anything. If there's uh, if there's one thing that I need supplements, uh, somebody says get zinc. I buy. I just click. I get zinc. It comes to right here. I, but the idea of going to the local Walgreens, I don't want to do that. I 
I regard that as high risk. Now, Carl earlier talked about if you're elderly, okay, call myself whatever, um, things just are riskier than you thought. Uh, My wife pumped gas yesterday. She said that was a really uncomfortable experience. Uh, There were many people Mm -hmm. pumping gas at the same time. These are the kinds of things that who would ever thought three months ago that this would be a these experiences would somehow be dangerous. So, Jim, what do we make of uh, the Wynn CEO, uh, Matt Maddox, and this 23 page plan for how to open Vegas, which has had if you look at you know, deaths per state population, it's less than half a percent. But you, you're looking at uh, three million people who were worried about work. I mean, casinos are so labor intensive to begin with. Uh, the level of cleaning that he's describing right. is, I guess I'd say, ambitious. Well, I have to tell you, he's an amazing guy. When I spoke to him recently, they, they didn't do any layoffs. And I know they're itching to go and it's got a good yield. Uh, Las Vegas Sands canceled its, its uh, yield, its dividend. And now, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that there are people, there are always going to be people who want to take a risk in the same way that you can book a cruise line for the fall. Uh, I think that unless the government says when you can't open, when is going to open? And there'll be people who just say, you know what, I'm going to be very good at social distancing. I'm going to be uh, as far away. Maybe there's a couple of tables where there are only going to be three people and uh, and it's limit three and you really want to gamble. And then we got the NFL and maybe you want to gamble in the NFL. I don't know if you'll be able to go to the stadium. Maybe they say, look, we're only going to put 20,000 in the stadium. But Matt Maddox is a creative guy, the CEO. And uh, they are going to think of something. They are very smart and they will think of something, a safe part of the casino for people who feel that they need that kind of safety. So I I think that there's an instance of someone who's going to be clever. Matt Maddox, he pays all his people and he comes up with a casino that is the casino where you can go and feel more comfortable. We need more people, Carl and David, who I think are going to improvise and make it so we can still go to the places. But the profitability level will be lower and the unemployment in the country will be higher. But at least you'll say, you know what? I go to win and I had a great time and I don't feel like I'm putting myself in danger. Right. Yeah. Between right. that and Boeing, which Phil mentioned a moment ago, David, uh, Germany opened some small stores today, Denmark schools. I mean, we're going to have plenty of case studies to see who's doing this right and wrong. Yeah. Uh, and South Korea is another one that we've watched closely, given their, the amount of testing that they've been able to do. Germany, as you point out, also is an important test case, going to be reopening fairly soon as well. Um, but the question, I think, continues to be, Jim, if you do open it, do they come? Uh, so if you are when, will people show up? Hope, you hope that they will in so, to some extent and feel confident and comfortable and safe. Um, but there's also that question of, well, if you open it, you better be sure you're not going to have to close it because oh, that would point. really be a significant blow. Well, I mean, I think obviously they're betting on a lot of people driving. I, I still haven't seen the level of confidence. The airlines haven't done what they have to do. I mean, I think a lot of companies just keep thinking that things are going to get better. But if you're the smart company, I've flown Emirates. I mean, Emirates makes me feel like, you know, there's testing. At least you get to the point where you feel a little safer. Uh, these airlines are going to have to start offering something which has uh, ultraviolet, uh, total uh, wipe down, guarantees. You uh, take a blood test. Maybe the Abbott uh, machines are, are going to be able to be up and running or uh, ortho diagnostics. You go do it. They have to start doing these things. They keep acting as if people just 
be it'll be normal. The, they have to improvise, get smarter, and then we'll do it. But as long as they continue to think that maybe they can trick us into thinking that we'll be fine, they're not going to do it. The first airline that makes it so that you feel safe is the one we take to Vegas. Yeah, but Carl, there is still the question of testing. And 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 Carl, you hear it. We all hear it. I mean, the governor's yesterday, of course, making it clear. Will there be enough testing in terms of opening a lot of these state economies to the extent that people feel comfortable again going back to work? Uh, right now, yeah. it still appears well, Gottlieb that there's on not. the Today Show. Gottlieb on the Today Show this morning. Uh, we're not there yet. This is regarding testing. Mm-hmm. We're not there. Not going to be there in May. Not going to be there in June. Hopefully, we'll be there by September. Um, so that's what Scott's saying uh, today, at least oh, about boy. wide-scale testing with some kind of national standard. But that would mean, uh, that uh, guys. Let's get to NFL. Rick Santelli this morning. NFL. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's get to Rick. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Carl. You know, so many things out uh, today that are shocking but not unexpected. The more I look at oil, look at the spread as we roll out of May, there's, there's going to be more strange things, uh, whether it's every Thursday, watching what we know is, are going to be uh, bad news on initial claims. But there are certain things that you could almost count on that nobody's paying enough attention to. Let's turn to Europe for a second. Let's look a year to date of the shots. That's a two-year in Europe. It settled at the end of last year at, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, right around, this is our two-year. We settle at 157. We're down 137 to 20. Now we go to Europe. We see that they're minus 70 where they settled, and right now they're around minus 69. So they went from basically unchanged in March, hovering. And why is this important? Because a two-year shots really is giving you a glimpse into the central bank. They really have nowhere to go. So the fact that a shots look so much different than our two-year, why? Because we've moved all the way from 175, 150 down to 151 and a quarter down to zero to 25 range. Our central bank has had room to act. Now, we can question as to how much more efficacy central banks will have, but we see that they've then pivoted to the programs that we see. And there's been many people over the weekend uh, that have said, if you look at the national debt and you look at the proposed changes to the natural debt based on programs that the Fed is unveiling, that in essence, we are paying investors to march in place regarding the level of equities. And that does make some sense. As we look at what's going on in our tenure, well, if you started at the end of February, so March to date, what you'll see is, is that right around minus 54 all-time low on the 9th, uh, the lowest trade since then has been 58. But that chart shouldn't instill any confidence. If we're looking for things to actually change for the better, we need that chart to go up, yields to go up. And if we look at the same chart for the dollar index, it was on the 9th of March that the dollar index made its 18-month low, the same time interest rates made their all-time low yield closes. And you can see what the dollar has done. Both of those charts need to reverse the recent moves since the beginning of March if it's going to give us the type of news that investors really want to see with regard to our economy. David, Jim, Carl, back to you. All right, uh, Rick, uh, well said. Uh, Jim, I did want to turn to you while we have a moment to set the table on earnings because uh, there's, there's some big players uh, coming down the, the tape this week, even though we got two more pulling their guides in Phillips and DuPont today. Yeah, that DuPont was very interesting because Tusa upgraded it, talking about how they're about to get the money from IFF. It was a sum of the parts, and I actually liked the call. I thought it made a ton of sense. 
uh, Tusa, Steve Tusa from J.P. Morgan does quality work. And this thing, Ed Breen runs it, and people are not really not given any credit for the new IFF, uh, David Morris Trust. And I just think, wow, there's some real bargains out there because they'll own a stake in a, more than half stake in a company that really doesn't have a lot of economic sensitivity. Obviously, DuPont has sensitivity. But did you see the way the, the economically sensitive stocks reacted to Friday morning to the news about Gilead? So, I mean, there a lot of these industrials and a lot of like, let's use like a Disney that was reacting to news, perhaps that Gilead had something. So this one seems to be uh, to me not a dice roll. I think the DuPont is a very interesting call. Uh, I liked it. I, I thought Tusa did a terrific job explaining it. And I, if I were a hedge fund manager, I would definitely give it a shot. There you are. All right. Guys, let's bring in Bob Pisani and get a look at what's moving on this Monday morning. Dow down 400. Hey, Bob. Yeah, rough open, six to one, declining to advancing stocks. The rally's running out of steam a little bit, and obviously energy is the main problem. We're rolling over, of course, into a new contract on oil, and nobody wants to take possession of oil. It's that simple, folks. So energy weak, but banks again weak today. That's not a good sign after a rough week last week. Uh, industrials and materials also on the weak side. Retail also weak. We've got all sorts of reports of difficulties with the retailers uh, over the weekend. Uh, big cap gainers, <laughs> there's a few of them, but... It's the ones you exactly would expect. It's the Amazons. It's the Netflix. Uh, it's Walmart uh, on the upside. There's a small group of mega cap stocks that have done really well in this environment. Most of the others have not been particularly great here. So how much more upside is there to the rally right now? I think the important thing is we've recovered a very large part of our losses, 55 percent or so based on Friday's close. Uh, and it's based on better treatment hopes and a reopening timeline. That's pretty clear. Uh, and a problem I think we have here is that reopening is contingent on mass testing and on minimal reinfection. And there's a lot of what I call execution risk around mass testing and minimal reinfection. Last week, we had uh, the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey. They said the biggest risk to the rally, we could fall back if we have a coronavirus second wave. Nearly 60 percent of respondents said that was the biggest risk to the market right now. I think they're probably right about that. As far as earnings, 20 percent of the S&P is going to be reporting this week. The important thing is the dispersion of estimates are very, very high. They're all over the place. But here's what you really want to focus on. 80 companies in the S&P 500 has suspended guidance. That's 16 percent of the S&P isn't going to provide any guidance for the full year. And we got another 20 that suspended dividends and another 60 that have suspended the buybacks. This is making it very difficult to get a right number. This is why what we call the dispersion of analyst estimates is very high. So the good news is if somebody surprises on the upside, provides any kind of positive guidance, they're probably going to pop very nicely here. The important thing elsewhere here is we every day we look at companies that are pulling guidance, some new ones today. DuPont, that's a Dow component pull guidance, Lumber Liquidators, U.S. Concrete, and over in Europe, Philips, so one of the big uh, uh, health uh, and uh, uh, technology companies. Uh, PHG is the symbol they trade here. They also pulled their full year guidance. Interestingly, Campbell's Soup, this is sort of the opposite of pulling their guidance. Campbell's Soup came out and said, our sales have been great, understandably. They've been up a lot. And they, too, said, we do not have any idea. Their exact word is, we're unable to predict with any certainty the nature, timing, or magnitude of any changes in future sales or earnings attributable to coronavirus. So it's not pulling guidance, but they're basically saying we can't tell you exactly what we're going to be doing. Finally, I just want to note this rally we've seen very much big cap weighted. S&P 100, the most 
the biggest stocks out there have had uh, the smallest declines and the smallest ones, the small caps, have had the biggest declines overall. Just bear in mind here, small caps are really continuing to get hammered. Guys, back to you. All right, uh, Bob, thank you very much. To your earlier point, uh, Merkel's on the tape right now talking about uh, ways in which to watch the risk of reinfection rates as they begin to loosen restrictions and open some small shops today. Uh, session low down 507. We're back in just a moment. Here's a look at the S&P heat map this morning uh, and this quote. Until every restaurant that needs uh, it has had the same opportunity to receive assistance, we're returning ours. At Shake Shack's chief, Randy Garuti, returning $10 million in PPP loans. We'll talk to him about that later on this morning, right here on CNBC. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. Something interesting here, Carl. Uh, PHG, we heard from Bob Pisani about this Phillips uh, the guidance not so good, but take a look at the stock. And what's going on here is they're betting on hospitals returning to the way they were, uh, or at least a little bit more normal, which would mean a lot of different surgeries that haven't been able to perform. And this is, shows you a return to normalcy in the hospital and medical world that could be happening. Remember, dentists haven't been able to work. Doctors haven't been able to work. Elective surgery, no. And, and if it returns to that, then this would be terrific for Phillips. So watch for a new group of stocks to do well, which is the companies that, that have been shunted because of uh, the hospital system so overwhelmed by COVID. I, I, I like the group. I think it makes a lot of sense. Wow. And implications for J&J and, and medical products companies everywhere. Exactly right. Baxter, J&J will do much better. Anybody that has an artificial knee, uh, that was the medical device was the one part that was weak for J&J. Uh, Abbott should do better. So just be aware that there's some uh, gradual winners that make sense in, in a world where uh, before it was just Shopify, Amazon and Zoom. Oh, and of course, yeah. Moderna. Uh, tonight, Jim, so, we, we, wow. we, missed, we missed having you on Friday. Uh, oh, what are you going to do tonight? Oh, my God. Jim, I got more emails. I mean, you hate the emails because it's like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you? Yeah, I'm fine. I took a damn day <laughs> off for heaven's sake. All right. So, uh, Robin Hood, Betsy, they're back. They're bigger than ever. And then Arvin, Arvin Krishna, this is the new CEO of IBM. And we're going to hear about what they're doing uh, in the cloud. He's been the big innovator for the cloud. I, I can't wait for tonight's show. I'm back. Um, I'm not taking another day off for the duration because holy cow. I mean, it was like there wasn't a single one that didn't that didn't start with. Are you OK? Hey, <laughs> yes. was, I needed a day yes. off. It was great. The duration. The, 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 the How long is the duration? Long time. Duration's um, going to be until the, the vaccine, David. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. 